I am fascinated by the potential of what God could do in this nation if he awakened us. You know, the world is unstable, isn't it? And it's gripped with fear. But imagine what would happen if God got a hold of us. If we stood on the rock and looked at the shaking times that we're in and the people that are gripped with fear from terror and all the economy and the woes of everything that's going on, and we said, we are trusting God. Imagine what could happen. I love a picture from a story in 1806. I don't often do these kind of illustrations, but this one gripped me. I've been so intrigued with this concept. God, could you, in fact, bring a great awakening to our nation again? By the way, is anyone with me that you'd love to see that happen? I mean, great awakening again. God, could you do that? And then, and I do it, it's happening again. I'm telling the story, I got chills just whoop, shooting right up my back. 1806, five men at Williams University in Massachusetts got together, and there were a lot of prayer groups going, but these five men wandered out into the fields, and they began to pray. And as they prayed, pretty quick, they're begging God, and I can only imagine, because the picture's pretty clear, that these men were down, right like this, in the posture of real power, and they were begging God to do something in their lives. And then they got a vision for what God could maybe do in the world. And there hadn't been a big movement of missions yet at that time. The storm clouds rolled in, lightning, thunder, pounding. They ran for what is now called a haystack. And out of the haystack was birthed from these five men seeking God an incredible revival, an awakening that altered the course of the world. As a result of these five men begging God in pounding rain, sheltered just by a haystack, we saw the good news of Jesus Christ spread around the globe. Incredible power. We got another one in us. We got another one in us. I'm believing. You know, before we jump into this message, I just want to talk to God. You ready for this? We can do it with our eyes open. So here we go. God, I'm asking you again to do in this service what you've been doing here today. Would you show up in power? And I'm getting out of your way, and I'm asking you to move. And Lord... As I was even sitting down there with my bride, Lord, you know what was going through my heart, and that is I want to be listening to your spirit as we go through these points. I don't want to linger too long or I miss something. So you work. You work in our hearts. I'm going to ask you again what I asked you this morning, and I just talk with God straight up like that. You can do this. And I'm going to ask you to knock our socks off here again today, God. And I get choked up. You guys, I cry a lot the older I get. But I'm going to ask you to knock our socks off here today, God, and to do something in us that we can't do in ourselves. I'm thanking you ahead of time. Amen. Imagine. I want you to imagine with me just a few things. Paul said in Ephesians 3, imagine what you like, but God will do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. So let's just imagine... And then we'll let God do beyond that. But imagine this first. Imagine authentic spiritual transformation. 
not people getting their ticket punched, more than just what we know to be kind of a common dominant culture of people who say, I believe in Jesus or I'm a Christian. I'm talking about an awakening of people who are truly encountering the real Jesus and they have absolute assurance that they know that they are His. I was raised in a home that is world-class in many respects. Not perfect, but world-class. My dad surrendered to Jesus as a young man. He saw his older brothers literally ravaged by alcohol. They called him Junior. We got a Swedish legacy on both sides of my family, and my, my grandpa, my dad's dad, was a committed Christ follower in the Word. My dad surrendered to Jesus as a young man. He met my mom at the Rose Parade, and they decided they were going all in in their relationship with Christ. And they were just all in right at the start. A little poker term there for you. And when they slid all the chips into the center of the table and they said, we, Jesus, we got it all. We're going all in right here. They went to Alaska before Alaska was a state. And my dad had a teaching degree and he wanted to do this. He wanted to teach school and turn people on to Jesus. That's what he wanted to do and he did it. And he did it in small little villages, and then we moved more toward Anchorage. And as we moved into Anchorage, I started going to church with mom and dad. And the church knocked me over. And I want to tell you that I, I would hear services from time to time, or a guest speaker, or something would happen. And here'd come little Carl Clausen. I had even brighter red hair back then, and it was bright. And I'd come walking down that center aisle. And I'd be like, I'm ready. Sometimes they wouldn't even ask people to come forward. And I'd come trucking down that center aisle. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'm ready to go. Started going to youth group. Could sing all the songs. Memorize verses. One big candy bars. <laughs> Traveled from Anchorage down to Seattle to big youth conferences. I was an officer in a youth group. and At the age of 16, I thought what all of us have thought that don't truly know Jesus. At some time, there's got to be more. And at the age of 16, I got focused on something that I thought, if I can do that, this will be it. I'm, that's going to be it. And so I set my heart and mind and everything, my discretionary dough, everything, toward completing the Iditarod Trail race at the age of 18. No 18-year-olds had made it from Anchorage to Nome on an 1,100-plus mile dog sled race. So I committed to it. I struck a deal with the vice principal of our high school. He's a great guy. I went to Wasilla High School. Yes, I happened to be pretty close friends with Sarah Palin. Yeah, she's a cool gal. Uh, I'm not going to get political. I'm just saying I went to school with her. But here's, what, here's what's cool. He, I struck a deal with the vice principal, and he said, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, Carl, if you can keep a B average, you don't have to be coming to class. And, uh, man, that's like music in my ears. So I kept a B average, and I would show up in the morning, and I would have a truck that on the back was this dog box, and all these little boxes were full of dogs, and I'd go and check in with my teachers. They said, you're doing good. Whoop, out the door, whoop, down to the trail and I'd go mushing as often as I could. And that was really, really cool season. I trained several thousand miles for that 
for that race over those two years. And on the first Saturday of March in 1979, I came to the starting line in Anchorage, Alaska. I headed out that day with 13 well-trained Huskies in front of me for 1,100-plus miles. 21 days, 8 hours, 12 minutes, and 32 seconds later, I went underneath the burled arch in Nome, Alaska. But three hours later, I was one of the most hurting young men in the state. Because Pascal is right. We have a God-shaped void in our life, and nothing but God can fill it. And I tried to have the Iditarod, like some of you have tried to have relationships or a job or money fill the God-shaped void, and it didn't work. And I was sleep-deprived, but I was wired. And it's the middle of the night, and it's a few hours after the race is over. And I remember getting up middle of the night. My dad's asleep in the room next to me at somebody's home that hosted us. I don't even know who it was. And I strapped on my mucklucks, and I put on my coat, and I put on my beaver hat and my fox mittens, and I walked down Front Street, Nome, one of the most lonely, confused, and hurting men, and fearful, fearful. My drinking age then was 19. I wasn't even old enough to go in and have a beer. And the bars were just loaded. And I walked down alone, Front Street, and I had an overwhelming sense in my gut. I'm a failure, man. I took off for the next four to five years and I tried to fill that God-shaped void with everything I could find. And up to the point in time when I'd run in the Iditarod, I was a good kid. And I was still even going to church through these next few years and singing the songs and looking the part. But I was starting to drink alcohol, and I hadn't been drinking before. And now I'm a partier, and I'm starting to use cocaine pretty heavily. But I'm miserable. One night I came home from a watering hole called Chilkoot Charlie's. It's a world-famous bar and we had had an unbelievable time and I was one of the guys that was the life of the party and I'll never forget walking into my room walking across my dark room into the corner of my room I stood in the corner and I'm literally loaded on crown royal and cocaine and I lean up against the wall and I slid down the wall and I was sober weird spiritually sober and a friend of mine, my roommate, walked in my room and looked at me. He said, what's wrong? And I said, Matt, I'm empty, man. He says, you got so much, bro. I said, I'm dying, man. You know, when we're running away from God, God shows his mercy to us. You know how much he digs you? That when we're not even committing our heart to really surrendering to him. God's lining up things to say, I love you. I had a second package of cocaine delivered into Anchorage. The second package was busted by the feds at Anchorage International Airport with my name on the package. You know how good God was to me? If I would have gone to pick it up with my name on the package, I would have done time in prison and I never would have met my bride and never had my kids. That's how good God is to us even when we're not following him. That's how good he is. Late 83, I went out to my folks' home at Wasilla. 
We built a home on a lake out there, sat down on a hearth. Here comes dad, here comes mom. They've both got tears streaming down their face. Dad says, we're going to talk to you, and I, I've got to talk for your mom. She can't say anything. She's just sobbing. Dad's sobbing. He says, we're no longer praying that you come back to church. That's the talk I thought for sure I was going to get. Hey, come on back to church. Now really get plugged in with God. He said, you know what, Carl? I believe just literally slobbering on himself, my dad. Just crying with his arm around me. He said, I, I don't know if you really know Jesus anymore. So we're praying starting today that either you surrender your life totally to Jesus Christ or that God would take you out of this world because you're killing yourself anyway. For 23 years, I'd seen my folks' prayers answered on a regular basis. And in a few short months... God emptied Carl of Carl. And on February 11th of 1984, I was driving down the main road in Anchorage, and it's like God came into the cab of my car, and I was just a mess. And without too much fanfare, he spoke into my heart, and he just said, Carl, are you done yet? And I don't even know how I drove to my big sister's home, who's a committed all-in Christ follower at that time and still is today. But in my heart, I fell to my knees. I can remember the stretch of road. I haven't even told that part to anyone in years, but I can remember the stretch of road and just the vividness of that moment while I surrendered to Jesus and all the shame and guilt and crap. He was driving out of me, and he was filling me up with streams of living water like fresh running streams. It was unbelievable, man. What I want you to know is this. There's a problem in the church today because we have a lot of people that have an illusion of transformation with God. And some of you are praying for people who may not even really know Him. And you're asking God, get them plugged in, get them going with you, and maybe they don't even, they've not been spiritually transformed, not authentically. How do I know this? In Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says these words. Look at what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Listen to this list. Weren't we like super followers? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from you, workers of lawlessness. And here's what I want you to know. Jesus is not angry, mean, or trying to scare people there. It is the ultimate cry of God to say, don't value style over substance. Make sure you have an authentic relationship with me. Eleven ten. Stay with me. This is so important. The illusion of transformation. You know how profound it is? I thought I knew. I thought that my Christian experience was just an experience of a man that had kind of received him and now really was just kind of struggling with him. And all the while, I just didn't know him. 
You can do a lot of things for God and not be in Christ. I asked my son yesterday, he's 21 years old, for permission to share what I'm about to tell you. Janan and I were speaking at a family life marriage conference. We get back from the conference, walk in the door, we look around, unpack a few things. My bride walks up to me in the living room. Gabe had a party while we were gone. I said, no. She says, he had a party. I said, no, he didn't. I looked, the blender hasn't been used. I'd already checked it. She said, yes, he did. I said, how do you know, babe? You women or something else. She said, there is a tissue in the waste paper basket in the upstairs bathroom. Cabin wouldn't do that. So I went with it. I said, Cabes, when he came home, Cabin, come here, man, I need to talk to you. 17 at the time. He was a little bit shorter at 17, about 6'6". He's now 6'7 plus and about 235. He's a full-on athlete, double pump, reverse jam kind of guy. And I call him in. I said, hey, Caves, come here, man. I need to talk to you. And I didn't ask him. I just said, how was the party? He said, yeah, we had one. I said... I really felt in that moment God said, this is time for a talk, man. Just because of some other things that had been transpiring, I looked at him and I said, son, I, I want you to know something. I don't need you to be saved for me. I genuinely need you to know God for you. I love you, son. And I just let him know how, how desperately I wanted him to experience this power of Christ in his life. I mean, I caught this kid. I caught him. She did all the work. I caught him. I love him. And I look at him and I said, son, I want you to know Jesus. And I don't know if you know the real Jesus yet. I don't know if you do. And that big boy walked over to the chair where I was sitting. And he looked down at me. And his, his chin was quivering. He was upset. And he said, are you trying to scare the hell out of me, dad? Is that your goal? I said, son, I just want you to know the Jesus I know. And he bolted upstairs. Janine came around the corner. Remember that, babe? You walked around the corner and you said, you did the right thing, bub. She calls me bub. <laughs> 20 minutes later, he comes streaming downstairs. And he says, Dad, I need to talk with you. We went for a drive. God said, be quiet. Don't say anything to him. He's heard it all. He put his head between his legs after about 20, 30 minutes. That big old boy... And he began to just weep, and he said, Dad, I don't know Jesus. And I'm ready to give my life to him, and I've been playing games. And for the next hour and a half, he just confessed sin after sin after sin in his life. Forty-five minutes into this confessional, I said, Bro, you've said enough. He, and he said, Dad, no, I haven't. I'm like, okay, well, keep going then. <laughs> and my son's 21. He's a transformed 21-year-old who loves God. His sister surrendered her life to Jesus at four, but when she saw her brother go all in with Jesus, it just ignited her.
When we're awakened, we won't value style over substance. We're going to want the real deal, and it won't be about our reputation or whether our kids look good. It'll be about Him working in hearts. Imagine authentic spiritual transformation. Another, imagine fresh life change stories. Imagine it. When I'm talking about fresh stories, the value of stories is powerful. But in Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before Agrippa, and it's a full-on court scene. And the story goes like this. He's talking to Agrippa, and he says, look, I was a good Jewish kid. I was strict. And then this Jesus came along, and I got a passion to take him and his followers out. In fact, I was obsessed. He says in the text, it says, he was so obsessed that he went to visit synagogues and he went to foreign cities to track them down. On the way to Damascus, he says, hey, Agrippa, craziest thing. A light brighter than the sun showed up and God spoke right out of it. And he changed me, Agrippa. He changed me. And he says, I've been told to tell my old running buddies, and they're standing there watching them, that they're blind. And God told me to tell them that Satan has a grip on their life. That ticked them off. And that he wants to change them. But then we find in Acts 26, verse 22, look at these words. I love it. Paul said this, to this day I have had the help that comes from God. To this day. Paul's story is a fresh story. Awakened people have stories of life change that are fresh. So let me tell you, my story from 1984, I love to tell it. But let me give you a better story. A better story for my son and daughter today is not to rehearse what Jesus did with dad in 84, but to tell them what Jesus is doing in dad now, today. You know what? I want you to know something. I know many of you have a great story from maybe a year ago or a decade ago or maybe a few months ago. Here's what you need to know. The God that met you when you were here says, I want to give you a fresh story now. You and you and you and you and you and you. Fresh. Imagine fresh life change story. What might that life change revolve around? I think it's this. Fresh stories come out of this. When we imagine overcoming old patterns and new challenges or new trials. The old patterns, very candidly, say, hey, we're starting 2010 from food to pornography. For people all over this room, there's all kinds of things that are old patterns that are just kicking your spiritual tail. And God's saying, I want to set you free from that and awaken people, start to get victory over that. It's not this horrendous sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent cycle and kind of madness. Yes, we're going to sin, but can we get victory over these patterns? Yes. I love James. You know this passage. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be in you mature and complete, lacking nothing. And this is what I've thought. 
And even in this last year and a half, God's been doing something awesome in my heart where I'm looking at circumstances. I'm going, God, what is the, what's the link between me getting through this and getting on to maturity? And let me tell you what it is. It's found in Romans 7. And in Romans 7, I want to talk to you men for a second. If you've ever been in a Bible study, man, you know Romans 7 because you talk about it. Paul says, man, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I do, I don't want to do. And I'm in this horrible cycle, in this trap. It's killing me. Old patterns are killing us. What do we do? Well, I don't know what the answer is to the theological issue of whether or not that's Paul talking about the old man before the law or whether it's a common Christian experience, but this I do know, the answer Paul has in Romans 7. Look at it here. In Romans 7, verse 21 through 25, it says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. See this battle? And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? And he says it, the answer. Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I have always been passionate about this reality. Where you find God is right here. But here's what I'm learning. And I'm so pumped that I've got a good, Lord willing, 20, 30 years in front of me here. But whether we have a day or a decade or 50 years in front of us, this is what you need to know. We are only fit for the kingdom of God and we can only really know what it is to have authentic relationship with God where we get here spiritually on our knees. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, when you get spiritually bankrupt and you're at the end of yourself and you got nothing, then I'm everything. And guess what? For all the old patterns, and the new trials, Jesus said, I'm breathing life into you here, and I want you to walk from this posture as well. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the end of ourselves, the cycle of madness ends. When we say, I'm stopping, and I'm waiting for you, God, You've got to deliver me. I've tried to do this in my own willpower. Now you show me how to live this life. Boom! That's the answer. Men, you want to be great husbands? You want to know where spiritual studs are born? Men, the greatest men I know live right here. You know what our culture thinks? This is weakness. Are you kidding me? In our weakness, he's strong. The greatest men in this world. You want to be a great men do, don't you? We say, God, I'm broken. I need you still. And he says, I know you do. On your face before me. I was on the Iditarod going from the village of Elam to White Mountain. When I checked out of the village, I had 11 dogs, or eight dogs left in my team at that point. My uh, headlamp battery was 
getting dim. I didn't know it, getting low. So I'm pedaling my dog sled. It's pretty cold, 20, 30 below, light, light breeze. I don't know why everybody thinks that's funny. That's just in Alaska, that's like, yeah, it's pretty cold. Um, pedaling my sled up over some hills and then back down onto the sea ice. When I got on the sea ice, now it's, the sun is fully set. Can't see anything. And I would take, because that light was so dim, I'd put a snow hook down in the ice. That's a, kind of an anchor for your sled. And I'd run up beside my dogs, and I had awesome dogs. And I had two little girls up in lead. They were called them white eyes, beautiful blue eyes. They were twins, litter mates. And I went up there by them, and I pet them up and say, hey, girls, how you doing? Hey, where's the trail here? And I'd look down on the ice, and they're looking at me like, we don't know. So I kept mushing the dogs and driving them through the night, through the night. We went for hours. Finally, I said, this is crazy. I stopped the team, snacked them a little bit. I think cubes of butter. Gave me a cube of butter, snacked them a bit. And I laid down in my sled bag. And I just laid out there. And I said, God, just help us out here. The sun rose in the morning, and when it came up, I could see what had happened. I'd not only been off the trail, we had been out on the Norton Sound sea ice, and the tracks that I was seeing on the ice were really my tracks, just in a big, gigantic loop. And if you're tired and going in circles, you gotta stop and tell God shine light on this deal. And you got to stop working at it yourself and you surrender to the God of the universe and you say, I need you still. You're in pain. You have question marks. You're in circles. You are strategically positioned for the power of God. Imagine authentic spiritual transformation. Imagine fresh stories. Imagine overcoming old patterns and new challenges. And then imagine, imagine Thousands reach through our kindness. Imagine this. Imagine an awakening that would spring up in this little haystack here called Scottsdale Bible Church. Just imagine this. Where God so got a hold of us here, individual by individual and collectively together, oh man, it was an unstoppable force of God that we turned the world around us onto Jesus Christ. And thousands could be transformed It can happen, man. You know what I'm convinced of? Our world isn't rejecting Christ. They're rejecting angry evangelicalism. Christ was known more for what he stood for rather than what he stood against. And I know that the kindness of us should reflect the kindness of God. Check out Romans 2.4. Look at what it says. 
Or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You know what God did? He gave a model for the way we live our lives. He spoke into my heart in the car and he didn't hammer me. He didn't say, you've turned into a drunk. Your life's despicable. You're such a loser, you can't even traffic a little cocaine without it getting picked up. You need me. He said to me, Carl, your heart's aching. And I want to give you a stream of living water that won't run dry. How about we drink? That is God, and that is the gospel. You think, I, I don't know how to reach people that are so different. Well, yeah, you, you are hardwired to turn this world onto Jesus. Because Paul said, Christ in me is the hope of glory. I died, and my life is now hidden with Christ in God. 11.10, he's got all the power. And when we're at the end of ourselves, the kindness can flow. A great picture of this for me was a year ago. Oh. Janan and I were back up in Alaska. A friend, a new friend of mine had started coming to the church where I was pastoring for about 10 years. And right before we left the state, he was starting to come there. We were back up in Alaska a year ago, and I got this call. We were at a from friends with a party, and I got this call. And it's from my friend Terry, and he says, Carl, I need to see you. I said, Terry, okay. Man, I'd love to talk with you. He says, God's doing something. No, man, I really need to see you tonight. I said, well, I couldn't get up there till 1030. That's perfect. And you need to know something. My friend Terry owns more strip joints than anyone else in the state of Alaska. I said, I got to bring my wife with me, man. He says, oh, bring her. I really like her. She's a neat gal. I said, all right. We go up there that night. This is just a year ago. By the way, I called Terry yesterday, too. And I asked him for permission to tell this story. And he said, yeah, you go ahead and tell him. It's still working for me, man. <laughs> we walked into that beautiful home that overlooks the city. Beautiful lights, clear night, horses outside. He shot heroin and done more drugs in his life than you can imagine. He did 11 years in Walla Walla prison. Almost three years in solitary confinement. And on that night, we walked in. And I'm sorry, but life change rocks me, man. And Terry looked at us and he said, I'm ready. I'm hurting. And we got down beside this coffee table there. And we actually fell to our knees there as we began to talk. And I said, really, Terry, are you ready? I said, your money, your strip joints... All of them, you, you got to give your strip joints to God. He said, I'm ready. 
said, why do you think you're really ready? Count the cost. I didn't tell the other services this. It's true, baby. I raised the stakes big time. And I said, no, we're not going to play games here. You're either going all in with Jesus and don't play games with me. You shoot straight, I'm shooting straight with you. If you're ready to go all in, we're going all in. Terry, he said, Carl, I'm all in. I said, all right. I said, why are you all in? I'm hurting, Carl. I got pain in me. And he starts to cry. And then, here's what's cool. My wife has never been drunk in her life. She wouldn't normally hang out with Terry. <laughs> and my wife, on her knees, begins to open up her heart to Terry, and she says, Terry, I know that pain. It's like your heart's being ripped out, and it's like somebody's twisting it, and there's almost no relief for that pain. And here's Terry. Leaning across the coffee table. Yes, that's right, Janine. 67 years old. I said, are you ready to go, Terry? He said, I am. And he lifts his hands in the air. And we all got our hands in the air that night. And he says, God, I'm asking you to forgive me in my life. And especially, and he just begins to weep. Would you really forgive me, God, for stabbing those guys in Walla Walla? A little kindness goes a long way to reach a lost world. And eye has not seen and ear has not heard what we can do if we turn this world onto Jesus Christ by being genuinely transformed with fresh stories of what God's doing in our life, overcoming cycles of pain and shame, and giving kindness to people that don't know him because that's what God did for us. cool is that? You know what I know what's going on in this room right now? There's a huge sense all over this auditorium and there 1110 where you're saying, I want that. Boom. Tell them. And imagine this. Imagine an awakening where there is an overwhelming gratitude for God. Imagine a time when there is such joy and pleasure in what God's doing that you can say, look at this, Ephesians 2, 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is what Paul's saying. Because, because of what God has done in my life and because of this incredible awakening that he's done in me, I surrender to your greatness and God the greatest dreams that I can possibly even imagine I know that you can do more than that imagine that come on it was five men at a haystack how about you Scottsdale Bible 
He could do it here. A praise and a thanks for God that erupts that's so clear that it's contagious to people around us. Did you know that that's true? That we can be so transformed by God that it can be contagious to others around us. I've been speaking at venues before where I didn't even come out and give a message yet at all. And I walk out onto the stage and I sense in my heart, God, I hear from God, I have already done my work here. Cast the net. And I go, woo. Who here wants to surrender to the God of the people around you? Because that room was so filled with passion and joy of this incredible gratitude for God. And hands flying up all over the place. I was in a bar in Little Rock, Arkansas, giving a message about Christ in between sets during happy hour. Interesting place to give a message. Two guys surrendered because of gratitude for God from a few that brought them there that night. Imagine, just imagine. Pulled a joke on my wife. One year married, called up a buddy of mine who's a police officer, and she didn't know I had a friend that was a police officer in Portland, Oregon, where we were living. And I called him up. I said, hey, bro, I'm wanting to have a little fun with my bride at her expense. And uh, I want you to come by tonight and arrest me. He's like, really? I said, yeah, do it upright. Doorbell rings. I'm in the back room. And uh, Janan goes to the door. It's police. And she says, uh, can I help you? She goes, are you Janan Kloss? And she says, yes, I am. She said, are you married to Carl Kloss? And she said, yes, I am. He says, we need to speak to him. I come around the corner. He says, are you Carl Kloss? And I said, I am. He said, you're under arrest. Put your arms over your head, up against the wall. And I thought this would blow my wife's mind. She's such a God walker that she told me later, she said, I just thought, well, Carl had a wild life before he was transformed by Jesus, and God helped him in that. He'll help him with this too. Wow. You know what, when the authorities come to you and you need to surrender, there's one universal sign for that. You go to Bangladesh or South Africa or East Anchorage or Scottsdale and if someone comes up behind you and puts a gun in your back, universally, hands go in the air. Usain Bolt, 100 meters in the Olympics, When he won that race, where did his hands go? This is the universal sign of surrender and victory. And I want us to not just imagine, I want us to get a taste of something here today that's pretty cool. I'm asking all of us to stand on our feet, all over the side, everyone to your feet. And I'm asking us to do something together that would seem really weird alone. You got it, man. You must be a 49er fan. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go like this for the whole song. And I want you to sing all hands in the air, everyone up here, everyone, everyone. And I want you to lift praise to God. And if your desire is for awakening, you tell them about it in song. Here we go, Joe.
up to him who is able to do exceedingly more than you can ask or even imagine. To him be glory as he awakens this little haystack called Scottsdale Bible Church. I love you guys. God digs you big time. Have an awesome day today. Bye-bye.